Amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to talk to you for a few moments about the healing crusade coming up, and I'm going to ask that those that are in the cohorts would also join us in prayer. Uh, turn with me to Mark. Chancellor No has been teaching out of Mark in the chapels on Wednesdays. Has everybody been able to listen to Chancellor's chapels? Don't those chapels bless you? Amen. What powerful words uh, coming from our leader. just want to show you in Mark chapter 1, the mission of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, talking about uh, John the Baptist here. And then it gets into Jesus casting out evil spirits in verses 21 onward. Uh, verse 29, talking about uh, healing. And, and now look to verse 32. This is not the message today, but I just want to encourage you to take ownership of these meetings. It's October 30th, which is a Friday, October 31st, which is a Saturday, which is also Halloween, and then Sunday, November 1st, every night at 7 p.m. Um, I want to know if you are willing to want to do a skit or a drama to assist the preaching each night. So, Lilani... Do you think you could round up a team to do three skits and dramas? You can? Okay. Um, so there's obviously going to be three different ones. Now, during the same time, November 1st, that Sunday morning, we're going out of town to Mount Zion, Illinois, to do a healing meeting there and a crusade there. Okay? So Sunday morning, I'm going to have a preacher here. Nancy's going to be preaching here. Are you going with me? Who would we say was preaching here? Okay, we'll talk about that later, but the bottom line is we're going to bring it over there, and I want you to bring a skit, but then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday obviously have to be different skits, okay? So make sure that those are different skits. If you're willing to do that, that's awesome. And then I have the preaching schedule. So um, what it will be, it will be me Friday night, then Griselda Saturday night, and then Adolfo Sunday night. And Ishmael will be interpreting every night, and so it will be better that way. Okay, so I'm asking everybody online, pray for us, and everybody here begin to pray, because we are going to have healing stations, okay? It's not going to be after the preacher gets done preaching, well, I feel the Lord moving, and just moving on down, just praying individually. No, we're going to preach the word, and then we're going to say, if you need salvation, go over here. If you need healing, go over here. If you need restoration and blessing in your life, go over here. If you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, over here. If you're a visitor and you need all the above, start at the salvation one and just work your way clockwise. Amen? And I want to give you the scripture for it. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 32. And in a few words that Chancellor No has shared with us on why they've been doing healing crusades. That evening after sunset... The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he, could, uh, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, you know Jesus is a bad dude when he don't even let the demons talk. He's like, ah, don't say anything. Just get out of here. And he gives us that same authority. Amen? You read the end of Mark chapter 16, you learn that that authority has been given to us. Here's the two words. Write these down. That Chancellor No has, been, has given S-U-M. And this is good for everybody across the cohort as well, wanting to see God move. Humbleness and holiness. Humility and holiness. Those two things, uh, Chancellor No has been promised that if we do those things, then God will show up. Amen? Because God shows up through the character of the vessels he's using. That's his chosen way. Can God use a donkey? Yes, he can. But that's not his chosen way. His chosen way is to use his chosen people. Amen? So I want you to be in prayer, searching your heart these weeks, asking God to humble you, not coming in pride, oh, I'm going to lay, some, lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover and it's all going to be to my name and everybody's going to talk about how awesome I was, one notch on the belt, another healing. No. We're going to come there humble. Lord, just use us. Use Adolfo. If Adolfo sees all the miracles and I don't, I'm okay with that. Adolfo should be able to say, God, if you use Ellie, it's okay with us. We just want to see it in the house. We want to see God show up. Amen? And then holiness, asking God, saying, Lord, check our hearts. God, is there things that are not right with me? Attitudes, things that I've placed before you. 
Uh, a lot of times we feel now at this point in our Christian walk, it's just God kind of, you know, just doing minor fix-ups, you know. We've already had our house demolitioned. We're already being rebuilt. Now it's just kind of like God's just walking around going, oh, I want a peach uh, cabinet instead of a teal cabinet. You know, like, oh, I just like to have a little hardwood maple oh, from the Alpines or whatever, you know, you know, instead of, you know, mahogany. And we think that God is just kind of like on one of those, you know, home improvement channels. No. Your life is continually being rebuilt and renovated and torn down. And there are things that even in a Christian's life that can become blinding and hindering. And those things can lead to your destruction. Okay, so it's not just God, I've just got this little attitude. If you just want to fix it, that's okay. But if not, I'm still okay. No, what you're saying is, Lord, renovate me always. Crush me, break me, make me more like you. Mold me, shape me. Amen? Now turn with me to Zechariah. Because that's going to be our lesson today. I said that during our praying and fasting that I felt the Lord lead me to the book of Zechariah. What a unique book for me to be preaching out of. If you ask me, Joe, have you ever done a series out of Zechariah? No, I've never done a series out of Zechariah. Joe, did you ever think you'd be doing a series out of Zechariah? No, I couldn't even really find where Zechariah was in the Bible for most of my Christian life, okay? But now I know where it's at, and God has blessed me, okay, with these words, and I want them to encourage you today. There's a, uh, I like to read the whole chapter, and there's a passage here that we're going to look at today. Today's message is, return to me, and I will return to you. Okay, everybody say, return to me, and say, God will return to me. Let's start over again. If I return to God, God will return to me. There we go. Okay, that's how it makes sense. Zechariah chapter 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berkai, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Do you see the passage where we're preaching out of today? One more time. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the early prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now and the prophets? Do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. Now, if you want to continue reading through this whole chapter, I would ask you to do that so that you can keep moving along with us. But today, as much as I like to read the whole chapter, we just don't have the time. So what I want to talk to you today is about returning to the Lord. Now, we know that the, re the word repentance, re in the English language, R-E, then penance, we get that because it means to return from the thing that we are sorry about. Penance being sorrow. What creates sorrow in our heart, in God's hearts, we're turning from. Penance. Are you get it? Repent. We're turning from that. And actually the Greek word repent means to turn. In the Hebrew, it's the same thing. To turn away from sin. Now, many of you here, obviously, have repented of your sins and are born again. How many of you are born again today? So before we just get into shouting and just forget about the message and say, praise the Lord, that's not me, understand the context of what's going on here. This is not just an individual being told to repent. This is not just an individual being told to re return. This is the nation of Israel. And you see, I want you to begin to think of yourself in SUM, if you haven't already. We had a message at the beginning called to the nations. If you haven't listened to it by Internet, you need to go back and listen to it to really understand what our place is on this earth. We are chosen people of God called to inherit the nations on behalf of the Lord Jesus. Amen. He said in uh, Psalms chapter 2, ask of me the nations for your inheritance. 
So we are kingdom-minded people building the kingdom, saying to the Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not of this world anymore. We are now of the heavenly kingdom. Amen. And we're here for only one purpose, to be conquerors and to be ambassadors on behalf of the King of our kingdom, saying, Repent, get right with God, because He's coming to conquer this land. And we're saying to this world to be as Rahab was in the time of Joshua. Do you remember Rahab in the time of Joshua Bible students? If you do, say amen. If you don't, say help me, Lord. Okay, some of you, that's why you're in Bible college. You're going to learn the story of Rahab. To sum it up quickly, when the people were led out of Egypt, they were then in the desert for 40 years because they disobeyed God. But Joshua and Caleb still believed that they could take the land. Moses dies, and then Joshua and Caleb now lead the people of Israel into the promised land, Jericho, to start conquering the nation there and all the Canaanites throughout that land, which we now know as Israel. And so who do they find while they're spying there to go into Jericho? A prostitute named Rahab. But she takes in the spies. She's happy that they're actually coming to her nation. And she prays for favor. And the Bible says she even lies and deters her own countrymen when they try to learn about what the spies are doing there. What does God do on behalf of Rahab? He spares her family. You see, what God is saying to this nation and to all the nations of the world, I'm coming down here to destroy the wicked, sinful practices of this world. But if you accept my word and my prophets and my spies and my people who are here, I will spare your life. You see, so God is looking for people with that Rahab spirit that will house the word of the Lord, that will get on the side of the Lord. Like in the time when Moses saw the curse come across the land, he said, who's on the side of the Lord? And the Levites said, we're on the side of the Lord. And he said, slay your countrymen now, because they have turned against God's ways. Anybody remember that? When the Levites went to slaying the Israelites? Because there was rebellion in Korah's house, you need to listen to me today. God is going to slay the land. God is going to conquer the land. And He's looking for people that are on His side. Now go back to the context of Zechariah, what you just learned here. What just happened? The people of Israel had been uh, held captive by Babylon. They had been invaded by Babylon. They had been taken over to Babylon as slaves, as people working in their government. Imagine right now if China took over the land and took our best back to Beijing. That's what happened. That's where you read the book of Daniel. Daniel is in the land of Babylon, but he's an Israelite. Why? Because he's been captured. And now God is speaking to them, and this is what He's saying. He's saying, return to Me, what? As a people, as a nation, and I will return to you. And then He says, where are your forefathers? Where are these prophets? Don't they live forever? Look, Or do they live forever? Look at verse 5. Where are your forefathers now? Where are the prophets? Do they live forever? Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Even in the midst of all of this, he's saying, we're all the people that used to tell you you're going to be okay. You see, you go back and read Jeremiah, a prophet during this time who was warning the people. He was being thrown into a cistern. He was thrown into a well. People were saying, we don't want to listen to you. We don't want to hear what you have to say. And all of these other prophets were saying, oh, God is going to keep blessing Israel. There will be no problems. And then what happened? God brought his destruction. And they were in captivity for 70 years. If you look back in the book of Daniel, you'll understand that Daniel figured out what Jeremiah had prophesied, and he realized that they were only going to be there for 70 years. And then you hear and see in the book of Zechariah and Ezra and Nehemiah, they're all co, uh, co-eternal. They're all existed at the same time in history. The, 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 the triune Israelites here. No, I'm just kidding. But if you look at Ezra, he comes back. And they start rebuilding the temple. And Zechariah is a prophet. And Zerubbabel's the king. And what they're doing is they're rebuilding Israel. Okay? This is real history now. But where I wanted to apply it to us is that if we don't get right with God, we are going to see terrible devastation upon this nation. We need to receive this word now because the next judgment that comes to us is going to be Armageddon. And we have been seeing tastes of judgment even here in America. 
And people may have different feelings about 9-11 and different things, but I'll just sum it up to you like this. God is allowing now wicked things to happen to us because of our wicked practices. And God, if you look at right now in Europe, is allowing Islam to sweep across Europe right now because liberalism is the back door for Islam. And I wrote a whole book on Islam for my class in seminary, and I'm giving you true statistics. I'm not trying to frighten you or be an alarmist. This is true. Right now, uh, Europe is turning away from God. All these places where great reformation were with, you know, uh, John Calvin and all of the reformers and Martin Luther and parts of Germany. All of these places have now seen total devastation of God. No more serving of God. And even in Germany, you saw Hitler come out. And then as of recently, you see these nations becoming liberal, saying that they don't even believe in God. They don't even have a place for God in any of their government. And this is where America is heading. But what the Europeans didn't understand that when they were doing that, they were just thinking we were rejecting the God of Israel and now we're just going to sit on our hands and and not not have any God. They had no idea that the devil has followers that worship him to, to death. And so while they're just rejecting the Christian God and they're just saying, we don't want this, here comes Muslims moving into London, moving into London. Here comes Muslims. And they start converting their own people. They started converting people, and they are converting right now. And if you want the statistics, go and get my book on Islam and just look at it. It's free PDF online. And look at how many mosques were in the time of uh, 1940 in London, how many are there now. There's over a 200% increase right now of Islam because they're coming in. They're coming in. And this is what is just the beginning of what's happening and will continue to happen there because they turn their back on God. And what is happening right now in America? Abortion. Over 50 million children killed in abortion clinics. Violence in our schools. I've said it here many times while preaching. Took prayer out the schools and put metal detectors in and it's out of hand. It can't even be controlled. You look at Chicago and the violence on the city streets with that young man who was an honor roll student being beat down, being stomped on his head and dying in the streets. Well, what's going on in this nation? This nation has turned away from God, turned away from the truth that it had. And it's saying, well, we're just going to be liberal. We're just going to allow homosexuals to get married. We're just going to kill uh, kill babies in abortion clinics. We're going to take prayer out of school. And we're not going to expect anything bad to happen to us. We just think life will go on and we're going to make it better for ourselves. But is that what's happening right now? No, what is happening right now is you're seeing the destruction of America. But why is it happening? Because God is allowing it to happen. You say, is God about a terrorist? No, He's not. But He wasn't about Babylon either, but He used Babylon to bring Israel to their knees. You're saying, is God behind the one that's buying the gun on the streets and street, uh, shooting people like a street thug? Is he is supporting that? No. But you know what? God is not going to stop what we don't ask him to stop. God is not going to intervene unless we ask him to intervene. And he will allow, as he did with Israel, the very things that we thought would save us, he'll allow those things to be the things that destroy us. If you go back here to the book of Ezekiel, just go back there. Ezekiel is right at the end of the uh, time of the Babylonian captivity. And, and go to Ezekiel chapter 1. And if you realize chapter 1, verse 1, of where this is taking place, in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, thanks Ezekiel for all those details, appreciate it. Uh, While I was among the exiles by the Kedar River, the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. And then he starts talking about these visions. But where is he? He's on the Kedar River. He's in captivity. And he continues to talk about how he sees the wheel within a wheel and all of these wonderful things. And it's, it's a great vision. But look at what happens in, in chapter 3 going at verse 16. He says, At the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning for me when I say to a wicked man, you will surely die. And if you do not warn or speak him or persuade him in his ways to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin. I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man and he does not turn from the wickedness from his evil ways, he will die for his sin. But you will have saved yourself. So what is he saying to Ezekiel right here? I've made you a what? 
a watchman. And then he goes on to talk about if you warn if a righteous man. Here's where we believe in backsliding, by the way, chapter tw- uh Chapter 3, verse 20. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteous ways and does evil, I put a stumbling block before him. He will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die for his sin. The righteous things he did will not be remembered. You see, that's where we say, hey, you can live for God today. You backslide. None of it will count on Judgment Day. None of your righteous works will be remembered. And I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the righteous man not to sin and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning and you have saved yourself. And so here you see is that Ezekiel's being made a watchman. Why? Because Ezekiel is in the time of the next stage of captivity, where, uh, the next stage of invasion, the next stage of when Israel is going to be destroyed. And God is telling him, you need to remind the people that destruction is coming again. You're just seeing the beginning. And what does he begin to do in chapter uh, 6 of Ezekiel? He begins to tell them what their sin was and the reason why. Go back to chapter 5, rather. Why they are being judged. I want you to see chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You have been more unruly than the nations around you and have not followed my decrees or kept my laws. You have not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. He's saying, you guys have been so wicked, you're not even doing what the nations around you are doing. There are things in Mexico, in Latin America, in Canada, there are people there that blush at what we're doing in America. They blush at what we're doing. We'll put homosexuality on TV, and there's still people in these parts of the world that will blush in Latin America and go, oh my goodness, they're not even saved. And they go, I can't even watch this. Why? Because we're doing things now that not even the nations around us do. America is the number one producer of pornography for the world. If it wasn't for pornography, they say the Internet probably wouldn't even exist today. They say that the number one Internet business is pornography, and the number one producer of pornography for filth all around the world comes from America. That's why they're going to be destroyed. That's why they're going to continue to be ca- captive. And if you look back in Israel being captive by Assyria, Judah's still you know, living and they're free. They don't learn the lesson from Israel. Assyria captures them. Then Babylon starts carrying away people from Judah around the, you know, the 6th century, 500s. And then all of a sudden Ezekiel's saying, hey, Jerusalem's even going to get destroyed. This is going to get even worse than this. And then they go into captivity. And then now going back to Zechariah, our text, having some background now. You go back to Zechariah, our text, chapter 1. In the eighth month of the second year, the word of of Darius. Darius is a Persian. The Persians took over Babylon. The word of the Lord came to prophet Zechariah. And he says, the Lord was very angry with your forefathers. What do you think that? What do you think God feels about the '60s? What do you think God feels about the '60s in America? Everybody, look up at me, please. Don't make love. I mean, don't make love. Don't make war. Make love. The counterculture revolution. Do you think God has a problem with that? Do you think God has a problem with your forefathers today and how they viewed life, gain things for your own self? They thought they could do it in community, but really what they became was selfish, self-indulgent people. And then that, that, that baby boomer generation turned into the greed and the, 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 the greedy people of the 80s, just hoarding and hoarding and hoarding. And then we thought that we learned a lesson from the 80s and then the 90s. We start to slow down, but then we build up again. And then before you know, you look at the end of the 90s. People are just spending wealth. It's just flowing. And everybody just wants more, more, more. Entertainers just being flashy and all of that. And then you see now the, the, the bringing down of our economy. Well, where do you think all that came from? That came from our forefathers. That came from our forefathers in America rejecting God. Do you want to know when America was the most Christian statistically? 
I don't even know if you're ready for this. Some of you haven't even heard this because I don't uh, tell it to you all the time. But I need to remind you of this. You know when America was the most Christian? You might say, well, in the early days, no? Not 1800s when it was founded, uh, you know, 1600s, 1700s, no. You know when America was the most Christian by statistic is the 1950s. In the 1950s, 8 out of 10 Americans were going to church. In the 1950s. Eight out of ten were going to church. It was in the 1950s that we put on the dollar bill, in God we trust. It was in the 1950s that we put after the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. Most people don't know that in the 1950s, we built more churches in America than any other time in history in America. And still to this day, we have more Bible colleges and more churches per capita than any place in the world. 1950s. You look at the Assemblies of God and the different Pentecostal movements around that time. They were building their biggest buildings. They were going for the biggest properties. They were taking the most land. They were growing the most overseas. Missionaries were going. But what happened in the 1960s? What happened to America? We began to question our foundations. We began to question where we came from. We began to allow lies to start slipping into our schools. Does anybody know when prayer was taken out just a few years later? 1962, prayer was taken out of schools. When was abortion made legal? Right around that same time. When did the trouble of America start coming? Right after one of the greatest times we had in this country. Why? Because in the 60s, people began to turn their back away from God. In Zechariah, he's saying, you're here because of your forefathers. Now let me ask you something. Most of you here in your early 20s, did anybody here vote? On Roe versus Wade, did you have an opportunity to, to protest that at that time? No. Did anybody here have the opportunity to go to their school and say, we need to pray and, and, and lobby for that? No. Was anybody here during those times of, of drugs and, and, and the enamoration of music and all of that into a society at that time? No. But our forefathers were there. Our president who is the President of the United States now, who just won the Nobel Peace Prize and has done more for abortion than any president before him. He is going to lead to the more slaughtering of babies around the world, has just won the Nobel Peace Prize. He was there. People like him were there. My dad was there. But we weren't. Zachariah really wasn't. We don't know his exact age, but we know if they were in captivity for 70 years and now he's an old enough man to handle business, chances are he wasn't there. And what is the message to Zechariah right here? The Lord was angry with your forefathers. So now Zechariah is coming back with the Israelites because Ezra has the ability to come back. Nehemiah has the ability to come back to their homeland Israel. They're leaving Babylon and they're being given permission to come back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And Zechariah is a prophet with them. And what he's saying to all these newbies, all these young people who have only really known captivity, what he is saying to them is, God was angry with your forefathers. Do you know that God was angry with our forefathers for legalizing abortion? Do you know that God was angry with the, uh, the, the people in schools that took out prayer? Do you know that God was angry with them? Do you know that God was angry with the entertainment industry that after that time of the 50s, guess when the show Leave it to Beaver was on? When was that show on, Dad? When was uh, Andy Griffith and uh, Mayberry on? When was that? The 50s. When entertainment turned and started going towards the direction of putting foul things on TV, in the 1950s, they didn't even want you to show adultery on TV. You couldn't even show adultery. You couldn't even put it on TV. You couldn't even show a man kissing another man's wife. It couldn't even be put on TV. I can give you right now the standards of entertainment in the 1950s. We cannot make criminals uh, 
be glorified in the eyes of our people so that our children will uh, imitate them. We cannot allow uh, behavior towards the law or those in authority to be questioned by the characters in the TV show. These were the rules in the 1950s. You couldn't show a kid back talking to his dad. You couldn't show him and it not be redemptive in the end, him changing. You know, leave it to Beaver. He talks back one time to his, his dad. He gets a little spank and he learns his lesson. You couldn't allow him to go on like fresh Prince of Belair, continually disrespecting his dad week after week, and that be the theme of the show. You couldn't even do it. But were you and I there? No. So what happened? Our forefathers made decisions that resulted to where we are right now. And you're saying, why are buildings blowing up? 9-11. Why does Islam hate us? You know why Islam hates us? Read your Bible. Why did David hate the Philistines? Because they were filthy. They were disgusting. And they were filthy sinners that defied the God of Israel. You know what Islam and the extremists think we are? They think we are filthy sinners. They watch Britney Spears on MTV. They see our movies and our entertainment. And these Islamic extremists look at us and they say, these are filthy sinners. Do you have any compassion for Goliath when he gets his head cut off? When you see David cut off his head in the, in the book of Samuel, do you have any compassion for Goliath? Oh, man. No. They have no compassion for beheading us. I watched the beheading of a reporter in Pakistan. Freaked me out. Be careful if you ever want to watch it because they have live beheadings. They put it on the Internet. Our government doesn't want you to watch it because it will scare the bejeebers out of you. And let me tell you, Allah Akbar, they are saying our God is greater. We will slay the infidel. Did you have anything to do with that? Did you make an image to Islam that makes them think that Christianity is the whore of Babylon, the most filthy, disgusting thing? No, you had nothing to do with that. But that's what they think right now of us. Why? Because of what our forefathers did. They legalized homosexuality in the church. They began to say that homosexuals can be in a church. What do you think? Do you think right now in an Islamic country that they know how to differentiate between our church and the Anglican church that ordains homosexuals? Do you think they know how to tell the difference? They don't tell the difference. We're all a Christian whoremongering nation to them that even allows homosexuals to preach the Word of God. Can you imagine how disgusting that is in their eyes? And then you wonder why they want to blow up our buildings. Because we're under the wrath of God. And that is the hammer. God is not glorifying the hammer, saying, I'm behind the hammer. What God is saying is, I will allow my wrath to be manifested against this nation because this nation has not served God. Look at Joel. Go to the book of Joel and see what God called the Babylonian army. Some people are so silly when they read the Bible, they don't understand context. You know, my dad and I, we went to a charismatic church. We're singing about Joel's army as if, if, as if it's us. They march on the cities, they stop on the walls. Great is the terror of the army of the Lord. We remember we used to sing that song. That is talking about the Babylonian army coming like locusts. Look at Joel chapter 1, and I'll tell you where their, their ignorance of Bible interpreters come from. Uh, these are people who don't really study the Word. Anybody who's uh, you know, a scholar or has a commentary obviously uh, knows the difference here, but these are just preachers who haven't done their homework. Joel here is coming in the time before the Babylonian invasion. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all you who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children, their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. He's saying this is all going to go down and there is not going to be one thing spared. And he continues to talk about what's going to happen. And then now look at right, and he tells them to have a fast, which we're going to get to a remedy here in just a moment. But look at chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Remember that song? That's not us. That is the Babylonians coming. This is a sound of terror. 
blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. We're being invaded. We're not going to be invaded. It's like, sound the alarm in New York City. That's what's happening, my friend. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Some of you don't even know the old song. Let me just recap it so you can get it. We used to sing in song in church called this. Blow the trumpet in Zion. And we would sing and dance thinking that we were the ones fighting and getting the victory. A person wrote a song thinking that this was for us. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Here we come. We're the army. That's what we thought when we were singing it. Because, as you're going to learn in just a moment, they're called the army of the Lord. But what you didn't understand, that they didn't understand, is that God says, Babylon is my army because they're the hammer I'm going to use to judge you. And that's what you need to understand is God will use pagan nations. God will use gangbangers. God will use the wickedness of this nation to bring us to our knees to teach us to pray, to teach us we better get back to the right things because Armageddon is coming, my friends. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Hold on. We're not happy anymore. It's blackout. It's dark. It says, such uh, the, the, the like dawn spreading across the mountain, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, never ever will be in ages to come. Oh, is that us, Jesus? No, that ain't you. You're going to be conquered by that army. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. This is not an army to come and bring blessing. This is going to destroy your land. They're a locust army. Verse 4, they have the appearance of horses. They gallop along, uh, along like cavalry with a noise like of chariots. They leap over mountain types like a crackling fire, consuming stubble like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They march in line, not swerving one from their course. They rush upon the city. Verse 9, they run along the wall. They rush on the city. They come on the wall. Great is the terror of the army of the Lord. Watch. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. Keep going. The earth shakes. The Lord thunders. Now look at verse 11. The Lord thunders at the head of His army. See where the, the Bible uh, songwriter got it messed up? He said, oh, this is, this is the good guys. Why did he think it was the good guys? Because he says, the Lord thunders at the head of His army. Verse 11, at the head of His army, the Lord thunders. His forces are not mighty and are those who obey His command. They're beyond number. This day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Oh, now keep going. Verse 12, if they only would have read the rest of it, they would have got it. Even now declares the Lord. What does he say right here? Even now declares the Lord. Return to me. Say it like you're up this morning. What is he saying? Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. What is he saying? Return to me before it's too late. Before I send my army, a.k.a. my judgment. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Here we go, somebody. For He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave her room in the bride or chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple, between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your People, oh Lord, don't make your inheritance an object of scorn. And you read on, he says that they're going to come if you don't do that, but I will restore the land and what the locusts have eaten, I will return. And that's where that great promise is at. 
Go back with me to Zechariah in closing. This is where I want to end today. Zechariah. Last book right before Malachi. Zechariah chapter 1. I had to give you some history so you could understand this. He said in chapter 2, the Lord was angry with your forefathers. Why? Why was he angry with them? Because they didn't listen to Jeremiah. They didn't listen to Ezekiel. They didn't listen to Joel. And eventually God's army, the Babylonian army, came and destroyed them and carried them off to captivity where they were for 70 years. And now Zechariah is receiving this word as they're heading back to Israel, as they're going to rebuild the temple. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the early prophets proclaimed. Who were those early prophets? Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, they proclaimed to them, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention. He's saying to you, listen, I tried to talk to your forefathers in the 1960s. I told them not to take prayer out of school. I told them not to, 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 to allow abortion to happen in the land. I told them not to have free sex and drugs. I told them not to love money and wealth. I told them not to get involved in homosexuality and the homosexual movement. I told them, but they didn't listen. And now destruction's upon them. But don't you be like that. You right here. Those of you who are coming out of this, those of you who came out of this destroyed culture, don't you be like that. Right now, return to me. And the Lord says, I will return to you. I will make a covenant with you right now. I'll make a covenant with this generation is what he's saying. He's saying, I'll start again with you right now. I'll come and heal the land on your behalf. Don't be like our forefathers who got us into this mess. Don't be like preachers who preach for money. Don't be like those who fell in televangelism schemes. Don't be like the wicked people of this world. Come to God. Return to God. Go back to God's ways. And He will bless you. He will keep His promise in Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name would turn from their wicked ways, humble themselves and Pray, seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. He says, I'll do that again with you. Turn to uh, Psalms 24 as you stand to your feet with me today. Psalms 24 in closing, glory to God. Psalms 24. Joel said, how do you return to God? You return with weeping and fasting and and you get the priest out, and, and they and they come between the porch and the altar. If you look at uh, the Temple of Solomon, there was a porch that was in the outer court, and there was the altar, which was uh, in the inner court, okay? And this is how it worked. When you came in, you were on the porch, and you could give your sacrifice there, and then they would take it, and then they would bring it to the altar because you weren't allowed to come, and only the priest was there. And the, what he's saying is, get the priest right here, right between where the people are, here, the unclean people and the sin of the people, right here at the altar, have the priest, I mean the, 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 um, Lord, give me that word at the porch. Get right here at the porch where the sinners are, where the wicked are. Have the priest stand between there and where God's holiness is, where God's love is, where God's mercy is, where God's grace is, and have that Levite get right there and start weeping. Have him get right there and start weeping. That's what he said in Joel. Did he not say that, people? Did he say it? Amen. He said, get between the porch and the altar and weep. Get out the priest. You see, it's not good enough for you just to say, oh, pastor, I'm going to heaven. I'm okay. No, you're responsible for a nation. You're responsible for the nation of America. We're all Americans here. And then we are to go to other nations and we are to teach them to be indigenous people and to not rely upon the missionary only, but to get on their own face and to cry out for their nation. And we're there to work and labor among them. Going back to Europe. Going back to those places, falling on our knees with them, weeping between the porch and the altar. Now, who is that mediator today in the new covenant that stands between the gutter and the glory of God? Jesus as the old preachers used to say, one hand in the gutter, the other one to glory, bringing them together through His blood sacrifice. 
Psalms 24, I think, gives us another easy remembrance of the remedy that God wants us to do. And I want you to keep this in your heart. Never forget this passage of Scripture. Psalms 24, starting in verse 2, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Look at verse 6. This is why I want you to read it. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. God says, such is a generation, Davi. Do you want to be like the forefathers in the 60s? Do you want to tear down this nation with compromise in the church? Do you want to tear down this nation by handing over our politics to liberals who in turn hand it over to the devil? No. Such is the generation of those who seek their face. His face. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, but he that has clean hands. That means... The watchman, remember Ezekiel chapter 3, he said the blood will be on your hands if you don't warn them. You can say with a clear conscience, hands representing your conscience, my hands are clean, I'm doing all that I can to serve God. John Wesley said, do all the good you can for wherever you can, to whomever you can for as long as you can. Is your hands clean today? Do you know inside your heart and your conscience that you are free from the blood of men's souls out here? Have you been faithful to warn them? Have you been on your knees between the porch and the altar with Jesus interceding by the Spirit with words that you cannot even express, calling out for mercy on this nation? Are your hands clean? Is your heart pure? For out of this spring the wells of life. Heart, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you speaking purity? Are you living purity? Are your eyes pure at what you look upon or do you look in lust? Because the Bible says when you look in lust, it's adultery of the heart. When you're angry, it's, a, it's, it's murder of the heart. Do you have a pure heart? Lift up your soul to an idol. Put something before God, your TV, your ministry, your family, your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, your finances, your pleasures. Anything you put before God is an idol. Or do you swear by what is false? Do you swear by by something that you can do? God, I'll serve you in my own strength. God, I'll come up with a church scheme that if I do this and do that and have Easter egg hunts and if I, you know, bribe people to stay with the free bicycle, then God, then by this, by this, by this method we'll build your church. Don't swear by what is false. Don't make those type of vows. Say this, that your yes be yes and your no be no. We'll use this as our only method and this will be what we rise and fall on. We need to pray today, not only for our own selves, but for a nation, the nation of America. And if you want any, listen to me, students, by way of Internet, if you want any of those statistics that I said today, I will send them all to you. The 1950s, the church building, abortion and the dates, I'll send it all to you. This is not something I just got up here and made up while a preacher was preaching. No, listen to me. This is the gospel truth. I studied church history in seminary and was tested on and wrote papers on. This is what happened in America, my friends. This is the gospel truth. 1950s till now one generation and look at where we are is it your fault is it my fault I wasn't even there but what I do now what you do now will affect generations to come God is looking for a people to make a covenant with that is Zachariah's word to them. He'll make a covenant with you right now. You start right now, we'll go right back to where we left off. And we'll make it right. That's what God says. He's a God of grace and compassion. It's not over for America yet. We can still see revival in this land. We can still see schools and prayer. They can't keep us out. We can still see our government be brought to its knees. Islam took over Nigeria. Now Nigeria is coming back to Christianity. Why can't that happen in America? Why can't that happen? China was taken over by communism. And now the underground church of China is taking over China. They're winning a nation. Why can't we win back this nation in Jesus' name? Return to me. 
He said, and I'll return to you. Let's pray. Father, we're coming. Would you join me on your knees today at this altar? Jesus, we're coming. Somebody hand me that water. I'm going to begin to pray. I just need to get some water here. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, have mercy. All across the cohorts, if you can join us, we're praying for mercy on the land. Not that we're better than anybody else. We're just saying we want to return to God. We want to be that generation that comes back. We want to be the generation that seeks His face. Jesus. Return to me. And I will return to you. He said, I told your forefathers to return to me turn from their evil ways and they did not listen to me so I say it again return to me and I will return to you the Lord was angry with our forefathers they did not listen to him James talks about the corruption of the rich man the oppression I don't know about politics, but I know America in the name of greed has oppressed many peoples. Not only in abortion clinics, but we've oppressed the poor, the migrant worker. We've done injustice. Oh, and the Bible says we'll reap the punishment of God for that, our own greed. The average American spends more on dog food than they do on foreign missions. We'll spend more on catering to their own pet than feeding the hungry of the world. The average American still gives less than 5% of his income away to charities. And that includes those in the church, even though they are among the highest of those who give. Come on, we need a broken heart today for all the things of God. All the things of God. We need to return back to holiness. We need to be grieved by sin in our own lives and the culture around us. Jesus, we need to be broken for the things that break God's hearts. That breaks God's heart. Break our hearts with the things that break yours. Jesus, mercy. Between the porch and the altar is where you are interceding for us. Oh God, you're here with us by the Holy Ghost drawing us to your side.